Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Art Artist Business. I am here with the beautiful and talented and spectacular Nick Hardcastle. Go on. I uh, know. I, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, uh, Nick has been a working actor, presenter, radio talk show host, um, you know, God, you name it. For a number of years, he's lived in the UK, in LA. Uh, he made his US broadcast network on in the role of Dean Trainer on the CBS drama Pure Genius. And his other TV acting credits include Beautiful People, All all Saints, Changing, Pizza, Flat Chat, Tanya and Floyd, and uh, of course, Tim O'Connell on the set of Home and Away, which is where we met. Closer reach day. <laughs> so many years ago. Um, please make him feel welcome. Nick, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jess. Thank you. Uh, so as you know, I kick off every podcast with the uh, famous question of if you could have a dinner party with any three people, dead or alive, um, to discuss art, artists, business, who would they be and why? And then the follow-up question, of course, being who would you invite to the after party and why? So I'm going to put that to you. What? This is a question gets thrown around quite a lot over the years. And I always, I always find it tricky to limit it to just three people, especially dead or alive. Cause sometimes it's like, I just want my mates. I don't care who's famous or who's done what. It's like, oh, well, actually I'd really like to have my mate Daniel. Cause I haven't seen him in ages. Um, <laughs> and he's a good chap. But um, when I was thinking about it this morning, um, because of what I've been up to over the last little while, uh, I definitely would want Australian Hollywood costume designer, Ori Kelly, mm. at the dinner party uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, he is responsible for some of the most iconic golden age of Hollywood looks, three-time Oscar winner, fourth-time nominated, for, so he had Some Like It Hot, um, American in Paris, and Les Girls that he won Oscars for, was nominated for Gypsy, but he designed, gosh, everything from Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, 42nd Street, um, this is a gypsy mame. Um, he was Beth Davis's personal costume designer, so he would just have so many amazing, amazing stories. Yeah. And, and, and you also in, you did you did your show on him. You did your one man show on him too. That's right. That's right. So I've been very invested in his life story. He's from a little coastal town in Australia, just like me. He's from Kiama, and uh, he was uh, originally a performer was a vaudeville performer in Sydney and then moved to New York where he ended up working in the theatre as a designer. He got his big break making a dress for Mae West on a show for the Schubert's and then he sort of took off. But he also had a very, um, very volatile uh, secret relationship with an English circus performer named Archie Leach who went on to become one of the biggest movie stars of all time when he moved to Hollywood and changed his name to Cary Grant. Oh. Ooh, ah. So yes, I would want Ori Kelly there um, because we'd be able to talk about the cultural exchange between Australia and the US and we talk about film and we talk about art and fashion and, you know, we talk mm. about clandestine relationships. Ooh. We talk about all and he'd have so many great stories. And I'd love to hear all about George Kukor's pool parties and things like that. Um, and speaking of other fabulous old queers, I think Oscar Wilde would be amazing to have. Oh, brilliant. Funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm, look, I normally surround myself with, with women, but uh, there were all old queers that came up when I was thinking about it. Harry <laughs> Kelly, Oscar Wilde and George Michael. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Ah, oh, epic. What yeah. an epic dinner party. Wouldn't that be so much fun? Gosh, actually, yes, that actually would. I'm going to George Michael everything. Um, yeah. So, yeah, wow. I mean, well, so George much. So Michael, much George Michael, I just love him as a, as a person. Yeah. I, I was so devastated that Christmas day when he, you know, when the world discovered that he was dead. It was just, it was Christmas day and I just, I didn't leave the house that I was staying in at all. I spent the whole day, well, yeah, by myself, it was devastating. And, um, you know, that man taught me how to sing, you know. He, he was just, like, the soundtrack of my childhood is Ammon Joachim. And he, you know, he was just, he was super intelligent. He took on, 
he took on the business at a time where it was, you know, not an easy thing to do. Um, getting out of his you know, major recording deal with Sony and he, the way that he lampooned not just the business, but himself in popular culture with, um, you know, freedom. And then of course, outside when he was caught uh, and charged for lewd conduct for, for lashing himself at an undercover policeman who, by the way, was begging for it. Um, <laughs> he should be so lucky to have George Michael flash at him. I mean, honestly. Um, yeah, but the way I, I just, I love his sense of humour, style. He's obviously his musicality. Um, mm. And yeah, so I would love to have George Michael. Um, amazing. Uh, but, or, and so I would say in terms of your after party, would George follow you to the after party? Or, because you can take those <laughs> guests, but then you can add some people. So it's like, who are you inviting to the after party then? Because <sighs> geez, if, if they're all, you know, having a little bit of a fun time, what, what would happen at that after party? <laughs> <laughs> God, I mean, Oscar Wilde would be responsible for throwing the after party. Um, he, his, the stories that I've heard about uh, his soirees in London, I mean, he, he's originally Irish, but spent a lot of time in, in London. And I've heard some phenomenal stories. And in fact, when I was living in London, I used to run a thing called Sunday in the Apartment. It was a Australian talent showcase that I did quarterly with the Australian High Commission mm-hmm. and a chamber of commerce called Australian Business. And we did it in this room called the Apartment. That's why it was called that, which used to be Oscar Wilde's City Crash Pad back in the day. So I felt a strong sort of kinship with him. And, you know, there there are all these old stories about what used to go on in that room. So I think um, I would leave the party planning up to him, (laughs) which would be fun. Um, So I can take all three of them with me. And then I, and then you get two extra guests, two extra guests. And I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued because, you know, this is already wild and out of control, but it's lots of fun. Gosh, well, I need, we need some top chicks there now, don't we? It, it could balance I mean, it out. Yeah, it could. I mean, you know. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Need a couple of top chicks. Gosh. Um, I mean, I'd want, I guess I'd, I'd want an entertainer, you know, uh, um, some fabu- fabulous woman who, like, I guess it would, like, Dolly Parton, maybe. Oh, <laughs> wow. And you'd know she'd have players. a <laughs> She could play, she could sing, she'd be amazing. We could swap wigs. It'd be great. Wow, fabulous. I don't know, so maybe Dolly, she'd be, you know, and I, I'm desperate to meet her. Um, gosh, who else? Because we, it has to be someone from the business, right? It has to be someone. No, not that... necessarily. No, it was funny. A couple of people that I asked actually picked me to go into their after parties. Oh, they were, oh, I know. They were like, no, no, you'd be lots of fun. Which is fair, darling. We've we've had a few parties together in our life. You are so lots I, of fun, and that, that's not a waste of an invite at all. <laughs> I mean, no offense, Dolly no. Parton's. Um... <laughs> that's fine. I'm so glad you're choosing Dolly over me. <laughs> And also, I mean, how much, how fun would it be for George and, and Dolly to get together and just have a sing along? I'd love that. Be I would just think that'd be really a interesting. Dream come true. Yes. Well, I didn't give the after party very much thought, did I? I'm sorry. No, I, um, I don't. This, this is the beauty of you thinking about it on the spot. I mean, I'm enjoying just the process of you working it out right now. This is where it's. <laughs> <laughs> you know who else I'm going to take to the after party? I'm going to take my dearest, dearest friend, Jackie Weaver, to the after party. I was wondering if you were going to say Jackie. In my head, I thought he's going to say Jackie. Yeah, because her and Dolly and Oscar Wilde and George and Ori Kelly. Wow. wow. Fabulous of queers and queens. That would be so fabulous. And I mean, because Jackie is such a fierce intellect. Uh, a lot of people don't realise because she's so tiny and has this high little voice and they think, oh, she's so sweet. But no, <laughs> you do not understand the wit and the intellect of this woman. So she would, she would be amazing conversation with Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. And, 
her husband Sean, if he ever hears this, is going to be furious with me. That you I can take a two home. for one deal if you want. I was oh, you're going to leave him at home, okay? Because I was going to say you could do a two for one if you want. And you're going to be like, you know, they'll have to be like to come together as a pair. But they are a lot of fun. We had they speaking sure of Ori Kelly. Do you remember that we at your premiere? We had so much fun at the premiere of Ori Kelly in LA. We were all there together. Mm-hmm. Um, the last people to leave the Strasbourg. Oh, Sean and Jackie. If they commit to uh, commit to a good time, you better believe they're going to have one. So um, yeah, I, that, I think that that would round round it out. Dolly that, and Jackie, Ori, and uh, George and Oscar. That's it. What that's, a great time! It is a great time. That gets you in the mood mm. for it. That's for sure, doesn't it? Really. <laughs> Um, I'd love to hear, tell me about what took you to London. Like, so why did you end up leaving Australia and pursuing your career out in, in oh, London? Oh, wow. let's get into we're going, that. We're going deep already. Cause I actually didn't really go to London to pursue my career so much. Um, ah. I did it because I actually really had always wanted to live in London and, you know, I'd have that gateway to Europe and have that life experience. Pardon me. I feel like I'm, getting a bit gassy. I, I, I ate those baked bean chaffles too quick. I did watch you do that and thought that this was I inhaled them. I was watching it. It was very questionable, but I just let you go. So I'm sorry <laughs> to, to all of the listeners out there. I'm sorry if any suspect sounds make their way into this podcast. Um, I did just eat two baked bean chaffles. For those of you that don't know what chaffles are, they are the most delicious hot pressed sandwich. Um, and uh, I'm addicted to them. Anyway, um, back to London. So, um, as you know, as you probably know, as an Australian or a Commonwealth citizen, you're allowed to travel freely uh, and to live and work in the UK on a two-year youth mobility visa that you have to get by the, before your 31st birthday. <laughs> and so time was running out for me. I was doing Priscilla Cornelides at the musical in Australia and I'd already had my 30th birthday. And so my visa had activated. So it sort of and um, I finished in the April of 2008. So my visa had already been like, I already had four months taken off it before I arrived. So I only had a limited amount of time to audition for West End shows. Mm. And I got really close, but once you got to the 12 month left on your visa, no one would hire me because they're all 12 month contracts. Um, So I did a bit of television and I did quite a lot of live event work and emceeing and hosting stuff. Um, but really, Jess, the main reason I, I wanted to be in London was to reinvent myself because I had, you know, I've been living in Sydney since 1995, um, straight out of school and working in television, radio, music, theatre, all across like the entire sort of spectrum of the industry. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew everyone and I felt like I'd really gotten as far as I was going to get at that point you know I'd had the lead role in the biggest musical I had had a record deal I had worked on radio I had been hosting my own shows and I just wasn't really getting anywhere and then you know I'm I'm engaged to this amazing woman I mean for all intents and purposes we were engaged I didn't manage to I didn't manage to actually do my incredible proposal that I had planned because uh, I only had Monday nights off it was a long story but before I got to, before I got to, I, uh, I fell madly in love with a man for the first time in my life. And that really changed everything. And um, I, I just, I needed to really explore what that meant for me. Obviously, Emily and I broke up and uh, I moved to London and I, I really wanted to be able to walk into a room and, and not have 20 years worth of history where people could make assumptions about me or who I was. I could just walk in there and be who I was right now. And, and that was important, really important for me. And um, so that was the greater mission really more than my career. When, um, when you say who you were, cause I mean, obviously, uh, you know, coming out is such a, it's such a pivotal point and experience and it differs for every single one of us. You know what I mean? In Mm -hmm. terms of that experience, did you feel that Australia wasn't, I guess, open to that because of where you were in the business? Did you feel that, that there would be a preconceived jump judgment about 
you know, your sexuality and, and that sort of why you just sort of needed that, I guess, fresh turf, new turf. Uh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, um, it's not, I don't want to not give Australia credit. Um, I'm sure that. Remind you, this was, you know, this was a couple I, of decades ago. So there's like, there's obviously been a growth, but it's just yeah. more just looking into. It know, was more about me. I wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't know how to represent myself. I didn't really ah. understand what that was. So I, I don't even say that I came out. I actually say I figured it out because oh. I don't feel like I was like desperately uh, closeted right. or anything like that. I had had experiences and I was, I had come to terms with those experiences, but they went, I'd never had a, a strong heart connection and, and, and right. fall in love with someone where the possibility of a holistic relationship with that person emotionally and physically was possible. Mm. And that was a very big difference for me. So um, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know how to navigate that, that world. And I, I, so I didn't, I don't want to say that I think that the Australian industry would have made it difficult for me. I, I, I'm sure that some people would have been incredibly supportive and that there would have been ways to even use it as a very positive experience, but I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. That was more about me. Um, and you know, my, let me paint the picture as well. At the time that this was happening, my parents were separating my sister just found out that her husband had been rooting her best mate. Um, so they were breaking up and my whole, my whole support system and, and was sort of in a shambles. Wow. So, you know, and I was working eight, doing eight shows a week in, you know, this, in this role where I had 18 costume changes and was so incredibly physical. And I, I got down to like 65 kilograms. Mm. I was just a, in a really uh, yeah. vulnerable space at that particular yeah. point. Yeah. I was. Yeah. So, um, so really London, yes, to some degree on the back of Priscilla and even Home and Away and, and my recording stuff. Yes, there were some career things to pursue, but more than anything, it was about um, the next step in just evolving as a, as a person and getting mm -hmm. to understand myself a little bit better. And so, you know, when you, when you got to London, did you, did you feel like, because obviously when we therefore re-met again, it was in LA. So like, how did London evolve for you on, on a, both a personal and, and a career perspective? And then obviously what drew you to LA? Because they're polar opposite cities. Yeah. You know? Okay. Well, the thing with, the thing with my entry into America was that I had no intention of coming to the US at all. I had given up on my Hollywood and Broadway dreams. While I was in London, I ended up getting sponsored to stay and work on Priscilla the Musical in a more producing capacity. And that's how I started doing my apprenticeship in producing theatre. Um, and I kind of let go of acting. I did The Beautiful People for the BBC. I did Ruben Guthrie, the, the uh, UK premiere of that, mm -hmm. um, that play. And I did um, just, you know, a couple of other smaller shows. But it became too difficult for me on, in terms of my visa to work as an actor. Um, I, it was a very restricted tier five visa that I was on. So I kind of tried to let it go. And then <laughs> out of the blue, I got a call from this agency saying, congratulations on winning the green card lottery. And I said, what? <laughs> I had completely forgotten that six years prior to this, at my, in my little back room in Vaucluse, Sydney, Australia, wow. um, I found this agency that I'd, I'd heard about the green card lottery and this agency that if you paid them $250, they would enter you for 10 years. And then I, so I signed up and I paid the money and I put in all my information. And then of course I found out, oh, it's free to enter the green card lottery, you just do it yourself. And I thought, oh, well, I'm an idiot, that's a scam. Never mind, and forgot about it. Anyway, um, each year they would send me emails asking me to update my information, and I, I generally wouldn't bother. But now that I had this office job, this one year, and the email came in, I, I'm sitting at my desk. I fine, I just filled it in, and again, just didn't really think anything of it. Just updated my phone number and my email address, and and that was it. And then I got this call. So I said, I don't, I don't understand what this means. And so she gave me my case number 
And I excused myself from the office. It was a particularly grim, drizzly London day. And I'm walking through Covent Garden on the phone to the Department of State in Kentucky. And I give them my case number and she says, yes, sir, that is a legitimate case number. And I went, oh my God, what does this mean? I start bawling my eyes out in the middle of Covent Garden because at that point I was trying so desperately hard to get out of my current visa situation in London to have the freedom to go and do other things, but I couldn't. It was getting more and more restricted there every year. The UK border agency kept bringing more restrictions because they had opened the borders up to the rest of the EU, which meant they had to limit Commonwealth immigrants. So I just, I just, did not understand and I, I kind of thought, well, God, people kill for this. Mm. So I guess I'm just gonna go through the process. I went through the process and then like you need to enter the States by a certain time and I still didn't know what I was gonna do there or why I was going and everyone assumed that I would go to New York because I was working in commercial musical theater and I had a lot of contacts in New York in, you know, in Broadway. And um, I just remember sitting there on another grim London. Oh, I can't do this. I have to go somewhere in the sunshine. I have to go somewhere near the, the ocean where it's sunny. And I said, I guess I'm just going to go to LA because they do TV there, right? Like, you know, <laughs> that's, yeah. my, that's kind of my background. Like, I could get back into television and it's sunny and it's, by the, it's on the Pacific. I, I knew next to nobody there. And um, somebody told me about this Australians in LA Facebook page. <laughs> oh God, the famous Australians in LA like Facebook page. I oh, know. <laughs> like, and so I joined it, and I was like, "Oh, lots of people I know from my distant past are on this page." Hello, everyone. I started connecting with people, and and then you know, I um, I just actually I didn't go straight to LA from London. I actually went to China first. I worked in China for CCTV. And um, I am I allowed to say this? Because I, I, I don't know what the deal is. Is anyone from China listening? Because they paid me in US dollars in a brown paper bag every day. <laughs> and I came over. Oh, my over. gosh. <laughs> it was I mean, very... I'm According to my analytics, we don't have any people from China listening just yet, but I'm wondering whether or not the Chinese government can go on to this right now as we drop that. You know what? I'm not going back to China. I've been there. I don't want it. You know, I'm not going back. <laughs> but yeah, so they, um, they would pay me every day, you know, in like um, in US bills in a brown paper bag. And so I, when I flew to the States, I turned up with all this cash in my backpack. <laughs> Um, like it just like a hustler you know you're I just know. like dishing it out. that's a, that's actually incredible that's it, it, it just when you when you landed was it was it a smooth sailing journey because i know like we all i always talk about my journey was like absolutely mm. disastrous and it took actually took me like quite a few moves i think i moved to la technically friends of mine make the joke that we've had more more farewell parties for me than anyone else because <laughs> i'd gone leaving and then i'd come back and then i'm leaving again and then i'd come back so what was your what was your experience like when you actually landed was it how was it well, um, I had arranged to stay with a friend. Um, she said, oh, you know, their house was amazing. And she said, oh, you know, 800 bucks a month and um, you can oh. stay with us. And it had a great pool and it was all that. And that seemed really reasonable, except I was sleeping on a mattress behind the lounge in the living room. Because when I got there, it's like, oh, second bedroom's actually their office and studio and whatever. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can sleep in here and you can close the door at night. Except they were up, you know, most nights of the week, you know, doing all sorts of things, <clears throat> um, which made it difficult. Um, and then I met someone in the first week that I was there and f fell madly and we both did. And I was like, maybe this is the reason why I won the green card lottery. It's to me him he's so amazing and because the situation wasn't incredible at the at the house even though they were my friends and i loved them and you know it was all a bit of fun um i started spending a lot more time with him and then i ended up moving in with him after about Ooh, scandalous which was i know i'm a real lesbian um <laughs> so that was a disastrous idea it was a terrible idea because he was 
so controlling. And, and I just yeah. spent my first year really just seeing the city through his eyes. Like he's the kind of person that would say, look, you don't need to do that. Let me tell you why. So let's just forget it. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I need to have that experience for myself so that I understand why. You telling me, you know, it's kind of like, no matter how many times you tell a kid not to touch fire, they're still going to do it at Absolutely. some point. So they really understand what it is to be burnt. Like it's just, it's just silly It's human nature. Behavior. Well, it's human nature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's also uh, that sort of law, I guess, too, that whenever you're like, don't do something, the curiosity will mm -hmm. always be the, the, you know. Yeah. Curiosity. And, and also my innate rebellious nature, whenever you tell me not to do anything, it's the, First thing I'm going to do. I, we um, can definitely relate on that. That's one of the things <laughs> that I think join us together. <laughs> you shouldn't do I, that. I just, oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, great. Thanks for that. I just think generally speaking, um, one of the best things that my parents did, I think, was give me freedom. Yeah, they weren't super strict. And I, and I, and when I say freedom, they didn't just like let me do whatever I want. There were, there were boundaries, but when you don't have a whole bunch of stuff to rebel against, you don't, you know? Mm. And, and I was, and I sort of grew up understanding that and, and therefore respecting my kind of privileges. Mm. Um, anyway, but Tim gave me a lot to rebel against. And so I did. Um, and um, so I think my first year in LA was a little bit of a mess um, because yeah, I, I really, I didn't get to experience it fully in the confines of that particular relationship. And then I spent the next year just trying to get over the damage that was done the year before. And, um, <laughs> and then by 2014, so I moved at the end of 2012, but 2014, I was really, I was starting to fire up, like in a big way. I felt like I, I knew my place in the city. I was doing a lot of work with expatriate organizations like G'day USA and the Australian American Association. Um, and that created a support network around me. Mm. And so I was able to launch the Australian theater company as a result yes. of that. And that, that really grew my personal community. Uh, actually, let's, let's expand on that. Why? I mean, obviously you, you talk a lot about your experience in the theater and that's sort of what, you know, what, I guess would be inspiring and motivating, but why did you feel that, that LA really needed the Australian theatre company? What was your sort of mission, I guess, behind starting that company, which I still think is a great initiative and, you know, hopefully someday it's revived because. Oh, you know, thanks. Well, it's been destroyed by one of my co-founders um, in a really sort of nasty way, actually removed oh. the entire legacy of it off YouTube, off Facebook, off the, offline, off everything, um, rebranded the, the theatre company, but, has also just like wiped, uh, wiped it from, from memory, which is very sad because so many wonderful people contributed to the creation of and the building of that organization. Um, but um, the reason why I thought it was important was because I was, I'd come from the theater world in the UK where Australians just aren't that cute. We're kind of looked down on a little bit and as a result, you know, you find Australians all sort of talking like that. They've got this sort of slightly British kind of twinge, haven't they? Oh. To their voice. It's kind of, you know, just this, they have this little, because it, an Australian accent just doesn't turn them on the same way it does in LA. <laughs> well, that's, I think it's kind of fair though. I've never really understood the LA thing. I go, really, you enjoy that? I, I'll, I'll, I'll trade that in. But yes, no, I, I, I'm curious about this too, because I do find the, the London's very different market and approach to yeah. Everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I felt like there was a, there was an interest and an appetite for Australian stories and culture in the US that there wasn't, uh, that I didn't really experience in, in the UK. But also there was this incredible breadth of Australian talent there that wanted to be able to share their stories as well. And they had fan bases and audiences in, in the States. So it was an opportunity to harness all of that, bring all of those people together, uh, to share stories that hadn't been told over there before because mm. there hadn't never been really any Australian theatre in LA 
there's hardly been any Australian theatre in, in the US at all. Obviously, Sydney Theatre Company over recent years, particularly under the stewardship of Kate Blanchett, had been going over to New York. But that's really the extent of it. Um, or there had been some dance tours or, um, you know, things like that. So I thought it was a, a really unique opportunity. And, um, and thankfully, a lot of other people thought it was worthwhile too. Mm. And um, we were able to create a trajectory for Australian artists into the US. And some of those were writers whose plays had never been seen before. Some of them were actors, directors who we were able to sponsor to come out and work over here um, to get their first international credits. Um, and also uh, we stewarded a scholarship program with the Australian Theatre for Young People and their international ambassadors, Rebel Wilson and Rose Byrne, which literally gave an emerging talent an opportunity to be flown out on Qantas, be acknowledged at the G'day USA Gala, and then we would produce a showcase for them um, in LA with, for, with industry people. And, you know, oh, yeah. for example, Eve Blake was the winner one year and she, we flew her out. And as a result, I got to introduce her to Tim Minchin and Tim Minchin's manager then took her on. And now she's blowing up her show, Fangirls, um, just received a whole bunch of awards. And she's, she's now going to be huge. So we did some really, really fantastic stuff. Mm. Um, I'm very proud of, proud of that. No, no, I like I, I and I think that this is something that's really interesting too when we talk about the distinctions because I think that's kind of part of why it's 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 so exciting when we're when we're Australians and we do come to LA. It's because uh, you know that people are just willing to take chances and give people opportunities on on new talent in a way that I don't know anywhere else really does. It's just it's this kind yeah. of this this thing because I think there's enough. There's a mentality I really believe in the in the US culture. There's enough to go around. There's more than enough to go around, and we can all be big at the same time. As opposed to, you know, I think in Australia there's like a, there's as you know there's a bit of a pyramid and you got to get to the top or you're like scrambling around at the bottom trying to climb your way yeah there there is a bit of a scarcity mentality around opportunity that I never really understood I've always been a more than merrier kind of person I've always been someone who likes to help elevate other people around me um and you're right in some respects in Australia that has been limiting um, I'm really excited to see how that landscape's changed now that I'm back, because mm-hmm. I can tell you the reception that I've received since I've been coming back has been extraordinary. And uh, everybody has been incredibly positive and gracious. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in hotel quarantine, so I haven't actually uh, been able to go out and meet anybody, but uh, I'm busting to do it. I'm really excited to see how it's all changed. I don't know anyone anymore. I don't like, I mean, I do, but... It's just, it's 13 years since I've tried to live and work in Australia. So, so it's, a, it's a shift. But I was going to say, do you think that that's because, because when, um, you know, I, I obviously have great friends in the business that, you know, like Damon Harriman and stuff, and we mm-hmm. talk about this a lot of a lot of things. But I think once Australians build a name for themselves in the US, though, people at home are a lot more like, oh, my gosh, come back. Here's the open platform because they see what you've done on a bigger scale. Do you think mm-hmm. that potentially this is something because you have built such a big name for yourself across so many different industries and you know and and just a reputation in general that australia is excited to have you back will you oh babe i don't know that i necessarily have but i appreciate that i definitely have if anything i hope i've demonstrated my um first of all my ability to work really hard and and actually realize something you know i've gone out and created i mean we produced over the five years I did seven shows and and the scholarship program and like all of those things, I really was able to genuinely touch a lot of different creatives lives and careers. And, and, and that's been wonderful. I've also, yes, been able to do a little bit of network television. I did a, I also worked as a host on a a local show in LA called SoCal Connected, which won uh, Emmys and I got a press club nom for that. So I did like, I have been able to kind of do things across the board that, I, I feel proud of coming back here. Mm. I'm, I'm no Damon Harriman. I mean, Damon's 
<laughs> like Damon's like he, he just never stops working. He's so never prolific stops. And he's so brilliant. He's still um, so still so humble too. Still so like it's just you know. But yeah. but well no I look I don't I don't even think that you need to compare yourself because I was going to say what you've done is is a, just a different it's a different journey but yeah. it's just as valid mm-hmm. because as you say you have touched the lives of so many creatives and whilst it may not have been all apparently on the screen it is just as valid what you've done for setting up opportunities and spaces for australians um Mm. and giving them a platform and and a space to build their own profile that's that takes not everyone can do that i know because this is what i do i can can tell you you've got to have a really good big heart for that so thank you and mm. i also hope that australians will see that although i went and and lived overseas I've always maintained a very strong connection to Australia and its culture and its talent. Um, you know, Sunday in the apartment that I started in London, that was the result of a fire and floods concert that, that I did with a group of Australians. Um, when I, in my first year there, uh, I, I don't know if you recall those terrible fires and floods of 2009. Um, it was, it was, it was shocking. The whole country was just, like under devastation, but um, mm. but uh, anyway, Simon Burke, myself, Tams and Carol, Daniel Fletcher, Amy Maida, Noni um, McCallum. Well, it was actually Noni that said her father was a Victorian firefighter and she's like, we've got to do something. I feel mm. like we need to do something over here. And Noni was like, let's sing a few songs at the pub and see if we can raise a few bucks. And I'm like, mm, if we're gonna do something, let's, let's go a bit bigger. So I, I went to Simon Burke and then he even one up to me more. He's like, I'll do it, but only if it's fuck off. I'm like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I, like, I want to do it in a real theatre and I want to do it in whatever. And I'm like, well, I mean, I do know the producers of Priscilla. They're about to open. Maybe we could ask them if we could do it at their theatre. Oh. So this is naivety at its best. If I knew how ridiculous this was going to be, there's no, you know, I wouldn't have done it. But I just walked on up to Gary McQueen, who's the producer of Priscilla, and said, Gary, we want to do a concert fundraiser. Simon's going to host it. Tam and Carol's going to perform. Michael Falzon's going to perform. Um, we're getting a few other people together, but we need a proper theatre. Could we use yours? And he said, hold the line caller. Spoke to Andrew Lloyd Webber's the really useful group. They said, okay, done. We had, to, we had to just cover the insurance for the night, but they gave us the theatre. Not only did they give us the theatre, they gave us the cast of Priscilla. So oh, my all, gosh. Yeah, they performed, Jason Donovan and, and the cast of Priscilla performed. We ended up getting Lorna Luft, Liza Minnelli's sister, to come in and sing I Still Call Australia Home with us because <laughs> of the Peter Allen connection. We had Mark Little, who used to be Joe Mangle on Neighbours. We had, oh, God, we had Rolf Harris, who had not wow. had those allegations raised at the time. Wow. And I have to tell Scandalous. you, he bought the, I know he bought the house down. He was phenomenal, but, and, and I loved him so much and we became mates. And then of course there's those, all those allegations and charges came out. We had no idea. Um, but yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. And all these Australian dancers who were chorus members and shows in the West End did this incredible ensemble number. And we raised nearly 40,000 pounds for the British Far Red Cross. That's Fire incredible. And that's, that's what started my connection back to sort of, I guess, the Australian expatriate community and working with Australian government. And that's, that was what sort of inspired the Sunday in the Apartment um, series. And Sunday in the Apartment ran for eight years. Even after I left London, I kept going back and doing it. So, and we had people, we had like big, well, big artists mm-hmm. who were touring, like Tim Minchin performed, Megan Washington Carolina Connor, Ray Marr, Alf Stewart from Home and Away, uh, co-hosted with me. Um, Carolina Connor, and then we had all these sort of exciting emerging artists that were coming through, and it was set in, as I said, Oscar Wilde's City Crash Pad at Kettner's, and people were on like cushions or chaise lounges and armchairs and like mismatched furniture in this gorgeous room with a grand piano and people just you know singing, telling stories and being interviewed you know, in an up close and personal way. It was really beautiful. And I did actually do a Hollywood version. I did wow, two... I didn't know yeah, that. I did. I, I found it difficult to keep it up because the talent pool is very different in LA. There's not as much variety. It's a lot of actors, writers, directors. Um, so I did two. I did Sunday in Hollywood at the Supper Club in, in Hollywood back when that was 
there. There's a little speakeasy off the supper club called the Writers' Room, and it was oh. perfect. It kept up that tradition because it was where F. Scott Fitzgerald used to drink and all that kind of stuff. So um, that was really fun. And I did two of those. But, um, yeah, it just it's something that I've thought about bringing back. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm listening to it now, and it's such a great it's such a great concept that I'm sure that especially now with, you know, post COVID world in, in Sydney, Australia, the theaters and these places, they're looking for something to come and bring people, you know, well, excited back about the venues, you know, so, yeah. you know, yeah. and I, I, with everyone going home, um, you know, except for me, who's <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another conversation. Um, but you know, um, but, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I would think that there would be an opportunity that you could even revive something when you're on the ground with people coming in into Australia right now, you know, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because the way that it works best is when it's really intimate. So people are literally sitting on top of each other, which is not a COVID-friendly way to, friendly to work um, right now. But things are changing. Look, Pippin's due to open in Sydney in a couple of months, uh, in November, I think. Um, Adelaide are now bringing people back into theatres already. They, um, South Australian Theatre Company opened their yes. most recent show in September. There's, it is moving a lot more quickly out here in Australia. So I am feeling optimistic about that. I've already got um, offers for Ori. Uh, for next Fantastic. year. Fantastic. Where, where are you hoping to, are you going to do a sort of a national tour with that or? Well, a- yeah, I mean, the ideal scenario would have been to be a part of something like Sydney Festival or whatever, kick yes. off the year and then moving on. But that hasn't been able to happen. Uh, what, what, what can happen though, and what we're discussing right now is kicking it off actually in Shoalhaven, which is the, the, the closest theatre to Kayama where Ori yeah. is from. Oh wow! That well, that's a that's a great premiere spot, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah, like taking it back to being the ground roots of where we came from. Yeah, I just think there's something really nice about starting it in his hometown because it he does pay well, and I do pay a huge homage to Kayama in the show and and the blowhole. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I think it'd be a really nice place to start. And then yeah, we've got some other sort of regional spots, and I'm talking to the, a couple of theatre companies in. Uh, Melbourne and also in Brisbane. So, uh, in an ideal world, I would I would potentially be touring that in the mid to latter part of next year. While also, um, oh gosh, if we can only be confident of this, but also bouncing back and forth between here and LA, if if we're allowed to, you know, aviation rules permitting. And I know, I know, darling, it's the last thing you want to think about right now. <laughs> Um, it's like, no, look, I believe, I believe, I believe, you know, it's, um, just for those of you listening, Jess and I have been, um, you know, discussing hey, the, the plight of people trying to, to get out of America and into Australia with Australia's restrictions on passengers and flights and those kinds of things. And it's, it's, it's a real thing. It has massive knock on effects for people's emotional well-being, their financial well-being, the relationships that they're having. It's um, sorry. I've just taken over as host of this show. No, please. No, please. I mean, I I, I know. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling it's fine. You know, I look, I, I, co-share is great. It's great. This is why I brought you on. So, um, and ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my co-host. Um, (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much. But, but anyway, it is, it's, it's it has devastating knock-on effects it does. and i really hope that the australian government starts to understand this and and puts protocols into action to get people home that want to come home because it's not like they're just sitting there going um just waiting no it's like they cannot actually get on a flight or if a flight is available it's so prohibitively expensive because of the restrictions that are being put on the numbers you know, people, we're talking about anywhere between three and a half and six thousand dollars for an economy ticket, one way. I know to come home. It, I mean, and and not to mention the fact yeah. that if you didn't book at a certain point, you're going to be landed with a three thousand dollar quarantine bill that you're going to have to pay for. So the other thing is, when you think about well, having whilst, no choice in where you're quarantining, no, or what you none, eat or anything. 
It's like the, the, and especially if we are also, this is what I said to people, funding ourselves doing the whole mm. process. We're the ones paying for the flights, paying for the accommodation. Why are there restrictions? If we're the ones paying for it, I don't quite understand because that's the, that would have been the preference for it. But look, you know, I, uh, I, I agree. And I think actually just the mental side of things, because, you know, it, the government also told us, which, which is totally off topic of the, of the podcast, but the government also said, if you're feeling comfortable or things are safe and you've got a safe place to stay and whatever, just, you know, hold shelter there and, and things will be okay. That's what they said. So, you know, mm. some of us, myself went, okay, that's what I'll do. Cause I have an apartment and I have a job mm -hmm. and things are going well. And, you know, and look, to be honest, I am, I, I do openly say that I'm much better off and I'm far luckier than other people that have been here in LA. So I do not want to in any way not express gratitude for the way that the universe has treated me. Um, it's just more that you get to a point that, especially my partner who is in Melbourne in lockdown, uh, who, you know, you, 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 someone so i had this great meeting earlier and she called me a war bride <laughs> she said war bride waiting for your partner to come home and i went oh my god i didn't think about it like that but that's exactly what i am yeah, you know yeah. so that's where it's hard that's where it's hard but look we just got to yeah, believe and i agree and i look and the other thing is as you as you quite rightly said i mean always sleep with gratitude but when but when it becomes apparent <laughs> over and over again, that you have zero control over making plans for your life, that is, that is a hard storm to weather. Yeah, it is. And I think it's okay if you, if you have a little bit of a episode over that, um, you're a human being, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, and I definitely, I definitely have, um, uh, but, um, but I'm also, you know, I, uh, and, and I think this is even this podcast gives me, um, it gives me, it breathes life into me because when I speak to you and the, and the, and, and the many people, my dear friends, it, you know, it just reminds me that there is still life. There's still positivity. There's still good energy and there's still things that we can create no matter where we are. Um, and so that, that gives me hope because I'll, uh, I will make, lemonade out of lemons if i have to because that's just who i am so that's um and on that i wanted to just uh, one final thought you know um you're home now and you know and you're embarking on a new adventure which i think is really really exciting and la will definitely miss you and i do hope the dream is that you're back here at some point next year and we can yeah. have that fluidity because i know that you would feel that there is a double home thing that goes on when you when you've built that base without so question long. la has been great to me i mean it it i know that it was where i have meant to be for the last you know certainly last years wonderful apartment there i have great friends i have my little dog madge who i miss terribly um i have i know the lay of the land physically and metaphorically in that city and that takes a long time it is not an open book and I think that people, a lot of people get over there and they leave after six months going, oh man, I couldn't handle it or God, what a shit show. Because they, it, it, it doesn't present itself to you. It doesn't owe you anything. No, you know? I love that. And, and, and people kind of don't get that. You have to, you have to really explore LA. You have to get off the freeway. You have to go through those surface streets. You have to understand the neighborhoods. You have to, you have to go to those events. You have to show up for people. You have to build those relationships, all of that. It's not a city that just unlocks itself for you. And, um, and I, and I did that work and I, and I reaped the rewards of great relationships as a result. So yes, I do think of it as my, as my home, um, my other home. Mm. And I, and I do intend to go back there and ideally sort of live a bit of a bi-continental life. Nice. Um, however, um, right now it's, it's untenable because I, I, I haven't been able to do any business. I had to cancel all my shows, tours. I haven't been able to host any events. And, you know, because I work as a freelancer and a contractor, my W2 or W9, whatever, income is limited. And so, therefore, what I've paid into my unemployment is limited and it's already, it's all gone. Yeah. So I get no other assistance from the government or anything like that. And I'm hustling and yeah. it's exhausting. Yeah. And then, you know, 
my friends died and I couldn't get home. My yeah, parents have both crazy. been in hospital. My nephew's been hit by a car and he's having all sorts of mental and emotional traumas. And I'm feeling this very strong calling back to Australia. And it was just like, okay, I'm hearing you universe. And I'm, and I'm going to take this action. And I, th I think you offer just some really great things to leave everyone with just the, the, the fact that the universe is a really incredible um, insight into, into guiding us, you know, and, and like, like, you know, for whatever reason, darling, if, if it is what it is, and I'm supposed to be here to have my, exactly mm -hmm. like you said, for whatever reason, maybe this is supposed to be my, my journey to stay here. And because I, I think about what I've been able to mm -hmm. do with our programs and this podcast and everything else and the people that we're helping, maybe this is what, why it wants me to stay. Cause yeah. I, I, I have a different capacity, but I think you just offer such a great, thing for people to think about that they have to be able to listen to the world and listen to the universe and trust in their instincts yeah. um, to go where they're being called. Because mm -hmm. um, so many people are, are, are afraid to do that. But I think, I mean, if there's any last words you want to have on that, but I was going to say, I think you're a really wonderful shining example of someone that just um, not only do you shine a light wherever you go and you really, really do, but you mm -hmm. allow other people to shine theirs um and i just want to thank you for that because that is that is a gift so my friend thanks jess will make me all emotional i think look god i mean what else are we here for <laughs> you know ah <laughs> <sighs> it's um it's just a better way to live really i think i i'm i've been people have been so incredibly kind and generous to me that it is just, it's just, it's just obvious that the generosity, that having a generosity of spirit is so important to me and in the people that I look to surround myself with. And, um, and so, you know, that, that motivates me more than anything. Yeah. Well, darling, with that, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I want to thank, thank you for, for being, having me. Uh, thank you for being my friend, and and thank you for um, just sharing a laugh and 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 being here. Oh, uh, of course. Well, thank you for bringing me into your uh, after community unfold. I've had a great time over the course of this pandemic, <laughs> getting to know a lot of your students that come in. You know, the classes that and the curriculum that you've set up for them is really unique and extraordinary. So congratulations to you and thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. And we love having you and we're going to have you as long as we possibly can. <laughs> and to everyone else out there, this is Jessica Orchick signing out and thanks for letting me be heard.